Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that uh, you have joined me today. And if you are uh, wondering what's happening on the show today, this is going to be an amazing hour. Uh, Tom Berkowitz is in studio, and we're going to be talking with him and Steve Curry. They are friends. They are also what happens when a Messianic Jew gets together with an Arab Jew, our Arab Christian, and a Messianic uh, uh, Jew become friends. And uh, Pastor Steve Curry of the Holy Land Missions in Jerusalem, he talks about some uh, key prophecies that involve the second coming of Christ happening in our lifetime in the city of Jerusalem. This is going to be a fascinating hour, so I am awfully glad uh, to be uh, having Tom and Marsha in studio. Tom and Marsha, welcome. Thank you. It's and, good to be with you. Yep, and, always good to be here. Yeah, and you can also, Tom, why don't you uh, introduce your friend Steve? Yes, I'd like to introduce uh, Stephen Corey. Stephen is uh, uh, born in Jerusalem. He and his father pastor the largest and fastest growing evangelical church in Israel. Wow. Is Steve on the line? I believe so, Stephen. Yes, sir. Brother Bill, Tom, Marsha, Shalom, and greetings to to all of you, all those listening. So uh, a a blessed early Christmas and a... And a belated happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, Stephen, maybe uh, you and Tom can just have a give the listeners a couple of minutes of how you guys met. Wow, yeah, would love that. Tom, you want to start? Sure. To the Jew, it... to the Jew first. <laughs> you finally understand that after all these years. To the Jew first. That's right. That's right. That's only biblical. <laughs> I call our meeting with Steve Corey a divine appointment by God. When we, Marsha and I, were in Jerusalem in June of 2012, we were trying to arrange a meeting, uh, a lunch, with this Arab Christian pastor. And what's really strange and why I call it a, a divine appointment, the person who was doing the introduction was an, is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi introducing a Messianic Jew to an Arab Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't get any crazier in that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I mean, in the flesh, the three don't get along. I mean, Orthodox Jews do not accept Messianic Jews as even being Christian. Yeah. Or even being, excuse me, even being Jewish. We're no longer Jews because mm-hmm. we follow Jesus. We're in with Shumids, mm-hmm. which means apostates, destroyed one. So, of course... Nothing really worked smoothly in Jerusalem, so we did not get to meet. Okay. So, you know, I teach a community Bible study class, and I got done teaching a segment, and a woman comes up, and she says to me, would you like to meet an Arab Christian pastor from Bethlehem? And I said, well, who is it? And she said, Stephen Corey. I said, count me in. When and where. Mm-hmm. And 
I showed up. Steve was talking to a bunch of people. When I walked in, he stopped. We embraced each other. Can you imagine that? A Jew and an Arab <laughs> in the love of Messiah. And I'll love let Steve it. take it over because he probably has a different view. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly the view uh, that I had. And, it's, I, it, Bill, I, and to those listening, I always tell people that um, building the kingdom comes at building relationships, building friendships. Um, and you got to find the right bridge of people. And Tom was just that right bridge connecting me to the Jewish world in the, in the, in the, in the Minneapolis area, but globally. And that's the fed message of Ephesians 2. It's that one new man concept. And we have a lot of Christians, both nominal, traditional Christian background. Who always say, I love Jesus, but the Jewish people. And I always tell people there's no such thing as as but or if in the context of loving others. It's either you love the other or you love your enemy or not. And we only, and then we go into teaching, we only have one enemy. And that enemy does not come in any kind of race other than Satan and his, and his doing. Um, and that is my message today to everybody listening. It's, uh, we, get, uh, we get bogged down with life by looking at, at putting people in boxes and squares. And that's what Satan wants us to do rather than Jesus wants us to love people and look at those that can be kingdom builders alongside of you. And that is what Tom and Marshall were and are. They're kingdom builders, uh, having a heart for the Jew, heart for the Arab in Israel. And that is where it all began, the cradle of Christianity, Bill. And that is where it all will end one day as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, Stephen, I'm going to ask you a question. I'll, I'll try to make this sound like this is not a prepared question. You ready? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so you, you're uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem ministry, right? So you're being a light yeah. to both Arabs and Jews as you're pastoring churches in, in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and other incredibly hostile areas, including the Palestinian territory where you live. So what is your stand yeah. Uh, with respect to the na- to your neighbors, the Jewish and Muslim people? Well, it's a great question, Bill, and here's what I tell people. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. Um, I'm asking the listeners right now, no, Tom and Marsha agree with this. I'm asking listeners to get out of the political realm, get out of the political mindset of Israel versus Palestinians, Palestinians versus Israel, and let's, let's look at it from a, a proactive, practical, biblical perspective. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of Israel, speaking in different shapes, manners, and forms to many generations to come. So we see him speaking in the New Testament. So what's hidden in the Old is revealed in the New. That is what we've, we teach as our philosophy. So we love the Jewish people, away from political agenda. Nobody's perfect. Israel's, Israel makes mistakes. The Palestinian people make mistakes. The focus right now is... The, the Old Testament and the New Testament. To the Arab people, I, you know, Paul was a Roman and he was a Jew. I am, a, I am an Arab. I'm also an Israeli because I have Israeli residency. I was born in Jerusalem. I pay my taxes to Israel. So I, I'm, I'm a similar scenario to Paul where I, I am all things unto all men. So when I need to be an Israeli, I'm an Israeli on the Israeli side. <laughs> when, when I need to, I have my, I flash my, my racial uh, Arab card uh, being an Arab, that's my race. So I, I, I'm all things unto all men. And, and my view on all this is this. 
is that God's got a plan for for the Jewish people. He's got a plan for the Arab people. Neither are more important, but both have different categories and different plans. And we have to believe. We have to accept it. We and I, I'll close with this on this question, Bill. I know Tom, uh, you can chime in as well, brother. And he, here's my statement. I, and I learned this from my father. He says this: You can't love the Arab and hate the Jew. You can't love the Jew and hate the Arab. There is enough love in the heart of the Father to love both. Why shouldn't we? Amen, brother. I can't say it any better than that. Because if you look at the Israeli-Palestinian issue through political eyes, you'll walk away either hating the Jews or hating the Arabs. When you look at it through biblical eyes, you'll walk away loving both of them. Yeah. But that doesn't— Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I was going to say, I'm going to steal your thunder, Tom, because there's a statement that I love that you always say and I always use and I, and I give credit to you that I've heard it for the first time. It's the Forbidden Peace Treaty. And that Forbidden Peace Treaty is the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. It is. And Satan does not want our two peoples to live together in peace and harmony. He wants the division because what happens is the whole world gets involved. Jerusalem, from a Jewish point of view, Israel is the center of the world. The center of Israel is Jerusalem. The center of Jerusalem is a temple, and the center of the temple is a holy of holies. And that's where the, um, the Hebrew scriptures, that's how they viewed it. And so it is the center of everything. And when the word goes out from Jerusalem, everyone sits at attention and listens to it. Why don't you tell that story uh, that you told me about those three young men from Jerusalem? Well, it's interesting you, say, you, you mentioned that, Tom. There's a, there's a study, there's an Islamic study that was done by, by some top Muslim officials. And it, it, this is the story that you're referencing to, correct, uh, Tom? I'll make sure that I mention the right story. Um, it, <laughs> well, it, it, we got it, lots of them. <laughs> we got lots, lots of stories. So they, they did a study on, they gave a message to Muslim clerics and about three other Arab nations, and they gave the same message, uh, like a slogan and a message, a theme, to uh, three young Arab men in the Jerusalem area. And this was done by some, some of the people sitting uh, over the, uh, the Temple Mount on the, on the Arab side, Al-Aqsa Mosque, Haram, Haram al-Sharif, and so forth. And they did a study. And this has been told to me, this was told to me by having dinner at an event by one of these top clerics in Jerusalem of Al-Aqsa Mosque. And the, 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 to summarize this quick story, that same slogan, that message, when they gave it to these, you know, in Islam, in Islam is seniority. That the, the older you are, the more white hair you have, the more children you have. It, it usually means the more people listen to you, or it has your message has more weight in the community. But they gave this message to these leaders and then to these young men, and the, the message for these young men was traveled almost. It had almost. 700% the ripple effect and almost 300% the weight uh, it had on people's hearts globally. And when they did this study, they traced it back why, even though they did the same kind of social media platform and everything, it, the only reason they said that it was they traced it back is because this message was coming out of the holy city of Jerusalem. It had that ripple effect globally on the Muslims globally simply because it's coming out of Jerusalem. And that for me, I, I told the story to Tom, that for me, it made Jerusalem that much more unique and it, it, it put, a, it put a, like a stepping stone in my heart to focus on 
focus on Jerusalem for the next 15 to 20 years simply for that reason. If they see something uh, that, we're, that Christians are missing, then we need to also see that as well and start working at it as well. Mm. You know, Steve, Bill said I could throw in some questions. So once in a while, he lets me share. So let me ask you a couple <laughs> questions. <laughs> yes. Doing your ministry in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, and the Palestinian uh, territories comes with a cost. And, and the cost can be even to your life. How do you manage that? How do, is that true, or is that something I'm just making up? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a great question. And I, and I think the way to, to factually answer that is a believer and his outspokenness in faith sets the bar to how much suffering, persecution, backlash you will have from those in power or the community. So, for example, if you do an outreach and people come to the front altar, they want to accept Christ or they want to get baptized, and these people are not necessarily Christian-born. Christian-born meaning anybody that's not a Muslim. So on the Arab side, you're either Muslim or Jew. Now, deep, you can be an atheist, agnostic, you know, worshiping a tree. It doesn't matter. It's, it's what you're born. It's an identity more than a faith issue. So when those come to the front altar and then, and then their names, their pictures or their stories start to surface, the community, the streets, hey, so-and-so came out to the front altar. So-and-so was prayed over by Pastor Stephen or Pastor Naim, which is my father. Or so-and-so was seen baptized. Then those people start to have retaliation. And their retaliation comes across from being kicked out of their homes. Um, wow. uh, being excommunicated by their family, being disowned, uh, being kicked out of their jobs, being pushed to the side. Um, and we've seen those over the years go jump up and down, jump up and down. And, you know, when most tourists go to Israel and the palace and they visit Jerusalem, Jericho, Bethlehem, and most people won't see or sense any of this because there's a great infrastructure of, of a safety. It's somewhat of a facade. But at the same time, a reality. It's very safe for tourism because that's what the focus is. That's the source income for people in Israel. So if you're listening, uh, I, I don't want you to start saying, well, I'm too scared to go to Israel or walk the Holy Land. Because it's, it's statistically, it's one of the safest countries in the world. So mm-hmm. and, and, of course, it not only would inspire your faith or inspires your life, but behind the facade of all this, you have believers like us growing, expanding. We've had two girls get shot to death. Um, in, 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 the, in the late 90s uh, for inviting Sunday school kids to Sunday school. We've had my uncle George was martyred and, beat, and, and beaten to death in the Mount of Olives, uh, East Jerusalem. Uh, I had the privilege to be physically attacked and beaten uh, for discipling a young man who came from a Muslim background uh, whose family was angry and, and they wanted to express their anger by, uh, by showing that uh, physical mm-hmm. mark on, my, on me. Yes. Uh, we've, my father's been beat. He's been shot. He's been stabbed. Oh. You can see this in, in CBN News in 2006. Why do I share all this? Not for pity or sympathy. Mm-hmm. I share all this to share that there's always an overcoming spirit. There's always a heart of victory. We have to be bold. And, and, and for the last bill, and, and uh, if, uh, we've, uh, we've briefly talked, talked before, and Tom and I have been talking about this for a long time. I've, I did a 10-year campaign in America, preaching, teaching in conferences and churches 
all I was doing, uh, I would come to America uh, for two months, uh, two months out of the year. I would travel and speak at my own cost, at my own dime, at our ministry dime, I mean. And I would travel and speak. And the focus was that just to prepare the church in the West for what's to come. Mm-hmm. And I've always been telling the Christians in America that most probably persecution, suffering, um, it, at first won't come like you see in the Middle East where beheadings and stabbings and bombings, even though eventually we'll get to that. But at first, I tell, I, I've been telling people for 10 years, Bill, yeah. persecution is coming through legislative system to the government. And yeah. in the last two years, it started to happen, beginning hundreds and thousands of emails and phone calls from pastors who are resurfacing my messages, which I preached eight, nine, ten years ago, okay. and passing it out to their people. Yeah, uh, preparing I, the Christians to stand up and to be bold for the gospel. And these are some of the things we've experienced, and we can. And out of all that, we're still the fastest growing Arab evangelical ministry in the country today. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll be right back. back and we're having a fascinating conversation with Tom Berkowitz, a Messianic Jew, and his wife Marcia's here, and then Steve Corey, who's an Arab Christian. So we're having a, a good time. Uh, Steve and I understand your wife is American. Is that correct? Yeah, she's uh, from Florida. Um, met her um, when I was in college. I didn't meet her at Bible college. I met her through a friend who uh, invited her to come hear me speak, and the rest is history, but yes. Okay, so I think the next question is going to come from Marsha Berkowitz. Hi, Steve. Hi, dear. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but it was about three years ago when Sherry was with you at our house and, and your baby. I don't know which one. I remember his name. The, the, the youngest one, Micah. Micah. Okay. We're sitting around the table after dinner just having some, you know, table talk. And I asked Sherry, I said, Sherry, how how do you live in that environment? It's very different. You grew up in Florida. You came to Bethlehem, which is very dangerous at times. And there are days where you may kiss Steve goodbye in the morning and and you don't know if he's going to be back, if you'll ever see him again because of the danger that he's going into Gaza, Janine, etc. Do you remember, she just gave me a great, great, just the perspective that she had living in that environment for small children. Do you remember what she said? Can you share what she would yeah. have said you know marcia it's she always has that that similar heartfelt spiritual insight and answer to that question and that is it's for the kingdom and it's worth it and she always talks that's the that's the notion that she tells people it's for the kingdom of god and it's worth it we i can be doing other stuff and and have temporary joy uh, or I can be doing something that lasts for eternity, have trials, tribulations, and sorrows, but to be able to see the, the, the see my Lord smile upon me and upon my family that we are we are sacrificing for the kingdom, uh, and that is what she talks about. It's, it's, she sees the bigger picture. It's for the kingdom. 
It's a big, and that's what she always answered. That's exactly what she said. It's really about, not about her. It's really about the bigger picture in the kingdom of God. That's right. You know, we have a couple minutes, uh, Steve, and I don't know what you can share about what's been happening with you in Jerusalem and the Muslim clerics over the last year and a half, two years, what you can share outside your confidentiality agreements with them or what you'd like to share because then the Israeli government has approached you to put a stake in the ground. And if you can share that with the people, that would be great. Yeah, it would be my pleasure, Brother Saul. I'll give you a summary, and, and a lot of people hearing this can can follow up more on this on our website. But basically, in a nutshell, peace is, is growing. Peace is prospering within the Middle East. Um, and, of course, biblically, eschatologically, that has a lot of notion and, and a lot of ties to the end times. But just going off of right now what was happening, peace treaties are growing and normalization is expanding. Israel sees this as a window of opportunity. Uh, to be able to connect Jerusalem to the Middle East and to the world. And many within the government that have seen me grow up, and because I've attended with my father from age 16, I started attending meetings and gatherings and conferences and prime minister's events and president's events and presidential events. Uh, people saw me next to my father. I saw my father get to work relationships and grow friendships with people in government. And they understand that from hearing my father and hearing my stories, uh, that Jesus, the message of Jesus, his teachings, transforms the heart and the mind of many Arab Muslims um, and non-Muslims as well, but specifically Arab Muslims, Catholics, Greek Orthodox. And they want to see us do more on the Arab world, in the Arab world, for the gospel, because they say, they tell us in person that the, the teachings of Jesus creates better people. <laughs> so uh, we take that. And we run with it. <laughs> that, that has led to us having this vision. That's why we talked about Jerusalem being so important. That has led to the vision of creating a, a multi-purpose worship evangelical leadership training center in the heart of Jerusalem. A, a church, a leadership center, a training center, a youth center, a, 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 a stake in the ground. And out of this vision, out of this center in Jerusalem, to be able by, by a couple of the people that are sit in the, uh, within the government position, to be able to say that we want to use and utilize us as a gateway to the Middle East, meaning reaching out to other leaders in, in other Middle Eastern countries, to be able to bring them into Israel, to, to visit the land, tour the land, at the same time, feel, hear, see, touch the, the, the stories of the Bible in, in the Holy Land, and then send them back out to their country, whether it be Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and other Middle Eastern countries, which I won't mention, send them back to their country, being inspired, their hearts are turned, and they've, they've been lit up for not only for Bible truth, but be, be lit up to be able to see Israel and the Holy Land and the Arab and the Jewish people within the land as peacemakers and not as always fighting and, and uh, angu anguish and torn and, and terrorism and brokenness and division and so forth. Mm -hmm. So to, to, to summarize all this, there are several Islamic leaders right now who also are, are with us. They want to see us establish in Jerusalem, even though they might not agree with the full gospel message that we preach or teach. Mm -hmm. but, All right, we're going to have to take a little break because yep. we're up against a hard break, uh, Stephen. Uh, sure. Stephen Corey and Tom Berkowitz and Marsha Berkowitz are my guests. We've got a Messianic Jew and an Arab Christian uh, having a discussion about what's going on in the Middle East, and we're excited about this. If you have a question, you can text it to me. 
877-933-2484. Otherwise, we'll be right back. Thank you for joining me today. I have a fascinating discussion happening. If you just joined uh, me, wow, you've missed a lot. I've got uh, Stephen Corey on the line. He has uh, got an amazing ministry in uh, Jerusalem, and uh, Tom and Marsha Berkowitz. Uh, so we've got a Messianic Jew and an Arab Christian uh, in discussion today. So this is uh, very interesting. Thank you all for being here. Tom, I think you've got a, a question you want to ask Stephen, so you go ahead. Per, play host for a minute. Really? Just yeah, a minute? Just a minute, yeah. <laughs> Remember, if you give a Jew an inch, he'll take a mile. <laughs> you, you go ahead. Stephen, when we were yes, last sir. together a couple of weeks ago and we did a video for my CBS class, you shared the story, and I like this story because it, tell, it will tell the listeners what how transformative the Word of God can be. Mm. When the young man who was being trained as a suicide bomber showed up at your church door with you and your father. Yeah, Ramadan. Um, (laughs) And that's not only an Islamic call, an olfactic, but name it to people. So his name was Ramadan. And he's a young Muslim who grew up away from his family. Uh, he grew up in, in, uh, in Bethlehem uh, in, an S, in an organization that is for orphans. And he had he got to a point where he was questioning a lot of things in his life. He himself actually was in a building that fell, that collapsed due to a, a, couple, a couple things that happened. He was in a building. He survived that. Then he, he was only maybe 17, 18 years of age when that building collapsed and he was inside. And then that led him to question, uh, who is God? Who is the true God? Is it is the God of Islam or God of Christianity? Is it Jesus or is it Muhammad? And he knocked on some doors, and they said, you got to go only to the Kuris, because they'll be the only ones to answer your questions. Because everybody else was afraid. He went to Catholic priests. He went to Orthodox priests. He went to other leaders. The people are afraid to answer his questions, because they, could, they, know, they, they, they knew that who he was, and they knew what he, what he, the power he possessed which is uh, he was a prime, prime person to be groomed um, because he was an orphan, his age, what he's gone through his life. These are the, 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 the harvest for the, the crop to be harvested uh, to be able to be trained. Um, he came to us, and long story short, within maybe a couple months, he accepted Christ after we sat down with him, answered question after question after question. Then we baptized him. Uh, then he started to be trained. Uh, and, I, and the funny part is, uh, to, the, the funny in a good way, is he, he wants to be baptized. Him, he, and he's been, he's been with us with the Lord for uh, serving the Lord in almost nine, ten years. He's not in fault. He's a lay person. He has a regular job, but he's, he's on fire for the Lord. And now he is actually a very well sought after woman's hairdresser. <laughs> so uh, one, this young man was at one point a 
prime person to be chosen to to go out to do acts of terror. And now he's cutting with a scissor, cutting the hair of, of Jewish. And he's actually, uh, it, the irony is he's not a very well sought after hairdresser by Arabs. He's actually sought after by many Jewish people, many, many Jewish uh, uh, women who love to do the hair. They only want him to do because he's got a smile. He's, 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 has a, he's caring, he's loving, and he's, he's good at what he does. And, and, I, and the business owner, uh, he, he attended our, our, our program in Christmas last year, and he said, Thank you for birthing people like Ramadan. And, of course, now we change his name to Rami. So from Ramadan to Rami, <laughs> from a prime, a prime person to be a, a chosen for doing terror, acts of terror, now he's loving the Lord, helping others, and, and putting a smile on people's faces. And, and he's not the only one. We've had the privilege to see many like this. And it's only because of the message, the transforming teaching message of Jesus. But all this, Bill and Tom and Marsha, requires boots on the ground. It requires people like us to be there every day, get up in the morning, as Marcia mentioned, get up in the morning when sometimes it's get up in the morning, sometimes it's dangerous. Get up, put on our clothes, put a smile on, and just trust in the Lord that he's got a plan for our lives regardless of what happens. And we rest in his glory. We rest in his presence. And that is why my heart is so burdened for Jerusalem, and I know we'll be touching on that uh, before the again before the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen, what does a believer do when there's uh, fear regarding persecution for themselves and, and their families? Well, it's 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 a good question, Bill. And and if somebody were to come to us, like whether they're Catholic, Greek, Orthodox, or Muslim background, and and they say they want out, they want to tell their family about their 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 trans- transformation. We never push them to do anything because we've seen in the past when you push somebody, come on, go, 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 be bold for Jesus, go and, and tell your parents you've, you've, you've accepted Christ. When you push them and they, when, when their parents or family start to persecute them or disown them, the first thing they do is they start to blame you. Rather, what we do, the approach that we take is when they come to us and tell us this, share their desire, we tell them we're going to stand with you regardless of what you decide to do. And that puts them at ease that we're not pressuring them. And when the right time comes, they open up their hearts because their families start to see them. They're not, they're not angry. They're not cussing. They're not cursing. They're not, they're, they're, there's a transformation in their life, something changing. They don't, they don't have hatred. They don't have bitterness. They don't talk about – they're not cursing nations and cursing, cursing the enemy, quote, unquote. The enemy here is, is the Christians and the Jews. Something's changed in their lives. That becomes a witness within itself that there's transformation, there's change there, and that is that is the answer to that is, is that we see that we see that transformation, so we stand with them, and when they go through that phase, Bill, what we do is we they know we're going to be there with them. So we have a program called Adopt a Persecuted Family Program, where Adopt here doesn't mean they're going to be they're not going to be knocking on your front door um, to say let me in. It's Adopt is basically we come in, we take care of them, we put them in a safe house when when needed. Sometimes we put them in a hotel, we relocate them, we help them find jobs uh, because they really get abandoned by many. Thankfully, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, we have an infrastructure in place. We have, we have over 100 families which we help out simply who fit this category of adopt, of adopt the persecuted family program, um, helping them paying for the electricity, for their bills. And mm. these aren't people that, that are lazy, don't work. They have jobs. They want to work. They want to make a difference. But sometimes they, go, they don't get hired or they get kicked out of their jobs simply because of what they've gone through. Wow, that's amazing. So uh, let's talk a little bit more just about the reactions you're seeing from Arabs 
and from the Islamic community uh, as they respond to the gospel of Jesus? Well, it's, it's a great, great question. I love it because I think the preconceived wrong notion of Muslims that they're all bad or they're all terrorists. And I think many Christians around the world, not just Americans, they're, they're sheltered. They're, even Indonesia. I went to Indonesia and I got to speak in Indonesia a couple times. The largest Islamic is a country in the world that's, you know, statistically, I mean, the largest. And when I, you know, they even had hatred, animosity, resentment towards Arab Muslims. And so and they're Muslims, the largest Islamic uh, statistical country in the world. And it's because they just see what they see on TV of Arabs always, there's always terrorism. So I'm an Arab, so I speak as, as a first person. Uh, but I'm not a Muslim, but I'm an Arab. I grew up, I grew up learning Islam in schools and so forth. So, so the preconceived notion is that they're terrorists and so forth. And I tell people, many of them, all they want, really all they want, they want to put bread on the table. And they, they want to feed their families. They want to make a better life for themselves. Unfortunately, there's a lot fewer bad apples to ruin the whole jar of apples than it does to take a lot more uh, uh, healthy apples to, to, to affect the other side. And a lot of times they're scared. They're silent. Um, they're afraid. And what we do is we... We turn their eyes to Jesus. Not all of them accept Christ. Not all of them believe in Christ. Not all of them get baptized. But we plant enough seeds in their hearts where their life becomes to be opened and transformed by Jesus. And that sometimes is enough to make them a better human being because they understand the concept of the love, forgiveness, and grace of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll say one more thing to this question. Has the church in the West missed the mark? Have we complicated the gospel to a point where if a person doesn't do one, two, three, then he, he is not a Christian, or if he doesn't do one, two, three, then you would give up on them, and we dust our feet, we move on to the next person. Um, if, if the, West, the church in the West has made the church into a product rather than a process. And I, 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 when, I, when, I, when the Lord coined this statement in my heart, and I wrote about it, it was put in a magazine several years back. I said, the Christians in the West have made Christ into a product rather than a process. We process a relationship with Jesus, Bill. It's not Jesus, you don't pick him up on Sunday, put him back on, on the shelf on Sunday evening, get back, to, get back to life and pick him up again. And that's what Christians have done when, it's, when there's a sickness, a brokenness, when you're bankrupty, when there's a sickness in your family, when there's a problem in your marriage. Christ's relationship is a process. You get up, you sin, you dust yourself, you ask for forgiveness, you repent, you move forward, you give, you sacrifice. That's the process of relationship with Jesus. And that's mm-hmm. what we teach our people in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. All right. I'm curious about, I know there's lots of signs on the second coming of Christ. Now, when you look at what's going on around the world with right now the pandemic and, and the uh, rumors of wars and attacks on Christians, uh, what are your insights on all this? Awesome. I'm going to read you two paragraphs that I wrote, because if I, if I don't stick to it, I, we're going we're gonna to go into a big rabbit hole. So, right. so uh, it, it, we've always heard of examples used as signs. And Bill, you can stop me anytime if there's a commercial, right? Okay. So we've always heard of examples used as signs, like natural phenomena, famine, diseases, sickness. But those are a hit and miss, since they are constantly up and down. What I have been looking at as, a, as strong signs since my childhood 
is anything dealing with certain significant, certain significant events happening in a specific geographical location attached to certain structures tied to certain people groups. I know it's a mouthful. But basically growing up, uh, I've seen a lot of preachers, teachers go through our pulpits in Bethlehem in Jerusalem under, under my father's leadership, and they're always out of, des- out of desperado. They're always clinging on to anything that, that looks like the sign of the return of Christ. And growing up, that turned me off, because even though it was coming from a good heart, but it, it just created a hype in the hearts of many Christians where Christians started giving up hope on the return of Christ. And I, and I promised the Lord, I said, Lord, um, I don't want to ever speak on the subject unless I see certain significant signs that are tangible that cannot be hit and miss. And I believe we're there. I've narrowed it, narrowed it down to six. We're not going to have time to go through all six but I've narrowed it down to six significant key signs. I'm going to give you quickly one if we have time before commercial. Yeah, yeah we do. Um, so the first key significant sign is, is peace. When there's peace treaty in Israel and with the nations around it, then that is one significant sign that happened. People reference 1967 and 1948 peace. That's, that's just only a tip scratching the tip of the iceberg. In Genesis 15, God says, I will make peace with you and your dependents. This has begun with the Abraham Accord, which literally started 57 years ago, um, but it reignited again in 2017. And and with the announcement of Jerusalem being recognized as the capital, this happened in 2018. This was the beginning of putting Jerusalem back on the map again, Bill. This has begun, I call this the blueprint. The, the, The Abraham Accord is not the peace treaty, it is the blueprint. We need to be gearing up for the great revival. And what are, when the question I ask people is, what are you doing to be a part of this revival? The, the real thing my eyes on are the deal of the century, Bill. And the deal of the century is what people know it as. But officially, on, on the State Department's website, it's not called deal of the century. It's called peace to prosperity. Ironically, peace seven and prosperity leads to destruction. So peace and destruction, it's like right in there. It's like the name of it, 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 it says it all with the, with the signs of the return of Yeshua. And, and so that's the first sign is peace. And here's why. Because within this deal of a century, Bill, it talks about several things. It's about rebuilding of a, of a house of worship for the Jewish people. And we see this, of course, in Revelation 11, and we see it in Matthew 24, which says in the last days, right before the return of Christ and right before the tribulation, the great tribulation happens, the Bible says we will see house of worship in Jerusalem for the Jewish people. Not only that, there will be sacrifices there. And ironically, in this deal of century, which many Arab nations have already signed on or have agreed to, subliminally have agreed, they've signed on to the Abraham Accord, and they've showed also approval and agreement for the deal of the century, or a.k.a. Um, peace of prosperity, it says in there that there has to be a house of worship for all nations, the Jewish people, Arab Christians, and the Arab Muslims. Ironically, there is a specific place within there that says all nations can come and worship. And in Revelation 11, the angel and the Lord tells John, leave out the outer court to the last part of the tribulation so that all nations can come and worship. And it actually says in Revelation 11. So it's, it's like it's built into this infrastructure. Revelations in Matthew 24 is in the infrastructure of the deal of the century. And it's, we're here. It's, this is not if, when. It's not a hit and miss. It's not a national phenomenon where we had an extra earthquake this year versus last year. It, it, it is our solid times. And that's the second thing. And, of course, the third thing quickly is Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem has to have a house of worship for the Christian community. And unfortunately right now, close to the Western Wall, Bill, there is no Bible-believing evangelical worship center. And that's what we're trying to work on right now to be able to buy land, put up a multi-purpose worship, 24-hour worship evangelical center in the heart of Jerusalem. And it's a shame. The Jewish world pours millions of dollars and, and, and millions of hours of prayer towards Jerusalem. Muslims pour millions of hours of prayer in Jerusalem towards Mecca. And yet Christians were suffering and hurting and can't get people to help us buy a property in Jerusalem to be able to, or not enough support, to mm-hmm. be able to put a stake in the ground, to be able to declare that we are here, we're not going away, and to shout the glory of God out of the hearts of Jerusalem. Just Jerusalem, God says, Jerusalem, I can never forget you, God says. I can never forget you in Isaiah, 16, Isaiah 49. Says so Jerusalem, I can never forget you. I've written your name on the palms of my hands. And unfortunately, Christians have forgotten Jerusalem because they're tired, they're broken, they're busy with their daily life or what be it. Mm-hmm. All right. I need to take one more break. Stephen Corey and Tom and Marsha Berkowitz are my guests. We'll be right back. back with Stephen Corey and Tom and Marsha Berkowitz. Been a fascinating discussion. Tom, I think you had a question that you were going to ask Stephen, and we've got uh, about 10 minutes left, so let's let's get to it. Well, it's probably a 20-minute answer, but at he, the he speed he's talking, oh, yeah, he can get it in. we can get it in yes. with a minute to spare. Yeah. Go, Steve. Steve, <laughs> everything you said, you know, I understand, and my Jewish mind is listening to you, but in order for that to become a reality, it has to have somebody, a, a significant Jewish person or official that is bought into it, and a significant Muslim official that is bought into it, because that stake in the ground you have, I believe, is from God. And I pray that people will will send the money that you need. You're just a couple million short. You've already have not quite half of it raised, but... For this to be a reality, you needed somebody on the Jewish side and somebody on the Muslim side to buy into this dream. When when I was with you, Tom, um, and, I, and and I'll share this. When I was with you uh, just less less than a week and a half ago, um, I got a call from a Muslim cleric. I won't say his name for security reasons, and this is probably the second most influential leader in the southern part of Jerusalem. Um, and I put him on video call, and, and you got to chat and got to talk with him. And, and he, he's a man that is a Muslim to the bone. But he understands that there's something significant and unique in the Christian message and movement. They don't see Jesus as uh, the, the, the son of God or the God man on earth. They don't see him that way, but they see him as the greatest man to ever lift as a prophet um and they see him as the greatest the quran says he's the greatest healer and the greatest actually the quran references jesus to be if there were anybody were to be equal with god it would be jesus nobody else that's how much they revere jesus and, and his being <clears throat> but he he looks at christianity and says jesus walked in jerusalem and christianity christians have to walk in jerusalem again and he actually told me he said i'm heartbroken 
the Christians are leaving Jerusalem. And he understands because of war and turmoil and extremism and persecution and suffering. He understands all that, and he's broken that Christianity, Christianity is dwindling in Israel. Um, even though when you compare Israel to other Middle Eastern countries, Christianity is stable. But when you compare Christianity within the Palestinian communities and Christianity within Israel, um, I mean, talk about statistically right now, uh, we've been dwindling and dwindling and dwindling for the last 15 to 20 years. And my father and I are in ministry in Bethlehem in Jerusalem. We've been called the last people standing in the gap. Um, or standing in the way to to many from the eradication of Christianity in mm. parts of the country, not in all the country, because there are there are several. Unfortunately, only a few other ministries doing doing the work of the Lord. Many others have left, shut down, packed up, and left. So we're standing in the gap, standing strong there, Tom. And, and Muslim clerics like this, I cherish my friendships with them. And you got to talk to him, and 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 I got to pray over him through through the video as well, because he's in hiding as well because of some of the things he said. Um, he's, you know, he's staying in Jerusalem right now in, in the home of a big cleric, secretly staying there with bodyguards outside his door. And I prayed with him and I encouraged him. Tom, you got to talk to him as well. And he wants peace. He's tired of brokenness, tired of, 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 of turmoil and, and, and terror and extremism and fanatical. He's tired of it. And by the way, Bill, to those listening, many Muslims are there as well. We just have to empower their voices to stand up and to stand up and fight against extremism and fanaticism, uh, especially those who are in America right now, uh, whether people like it or not, they're here. And I think we need to reach out to them and, and build a relationship with them, to befriend them, because you know, there might come a time where they will be your best allies and your best protectors from from the, the hidden agenda of the dark world around us. And that is why it goes back to my reference, Tom, is that uh, having a presence in Jerusalem, it can be the critical make or break moment uh, for the next 15 years uh, to be able to have presence in Jerusalem, protecting the, the legacy of our Christ, of what he did on Calvary's cross. That has to live on. Our faith is not bound by a, by a structure building, and we all agree to that. But to the Middle Eastern culture, to the Israeli culture, you need to have a stake in the ground to be able to show commitment, to show long-term commitment, to be able to let community know you're not just a pop-up shop. Where that's what many evangelicals do. They come in Jerusalem, they do, they do a nice thing for a year or two, then they pack up and they leave when the tough gets going. Uh, and many have grown weary and very skeptical of the evangelical movement. But we are, uh, we have boots on the ground there. And all we want to do is we want to honor the Lord in doing our best and due diligence, not only doing stuff in the community, but to also have, have a presence there, long-term presence amongst the Jewish people and Arab people, to be a house of all nations, prayer, house of prayer for all nations, to be able to come and to worship and to be able to come together, uh, to be able to usher in the revival to come. Do you have the same feeling on the Israeli side? You got to make this real quick because we need an advertisement for you too, brother. That's the uh, Jewish part of me coming out. Yeah, it, it, we do, brother Tom and Bill and Marsha. I, I really see many Jewish people come to us. Uh, they call us, they email us, or they see they see my father in the mall in the street in the mall, and they would have heard him speak at a Jewish event. And they come up crying, saying, thank you. These are Jewish people. They say, thank you for preaching and teaching love and forgiveness and grace, because it, it gives us hope that there is hope for the coming days. Yeah. We just have about a minute left, uh, Stephen. How do we uh, do a better job of encouraging and helping our Arab brothers and sisters in Christ? Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Tom and Marsha. We love you guys. Um, uh, we are 501c3, a tax-exempt organization, nonprofit in America, holylandmissions.org holylandmissions.org. We want to put a stake in the ground 
and we want to be able to purchase this land in Jerusalem. This land is nine-minute walk, Bill, from the garden tomb, wow. the garden tomb. It's nine-minute walk, and we want to we want to put our hands on this property um, and be able to put a structure on there. But phase one is to purchase this land and put claims to it, which connects three Arab communities. And this land is in, sits in the middle of it, nine-minute walk from the garden tomb. We're asking Christians to stand, to pray, to support us, be able to be able to purchase this land, as Tom mentioned. Uh, we've raised $2 million. Uh, this is not a fundraiser. Uh, we're not asking for fundraising. We just want you to see the value in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we see the value in this, your heart will respond. We're asking God and, and faithful believers. We're asking believers for uh, to be able to finish this project. To finish this project requires another uh, $2.9 million. Well, that's a amazing, amazing opportunity that's before you. And I'm excited that your work is uh, so fruitful and that your passion is loud and clear. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being part of the show. Thank you, Bill. We're honored and God bless you all. The Lord is coming and let's love people and love God and continue being the hands and feet of Jesus, a light in the dark world. Amen to that. Tom Marshall, you want to say goodbye to Stephen? Bye, Steve. Bye, Steve. We love you. Love we love to you. Thank fi- you for being the light. Love to Thank Sherry you. and your family. All right. And for we'll your father who has COVID, we're still praying for him. Amen. Amen. He's, he's going to beat it. He's going to beat it. Thank you. All right. The website, again, is holylandmissions.org. Go, go check it out, holylandmissions.org. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Hour 2 is going to continue with our Wednesday prayer series. Dr. Peter Kapster and myself will be joining Dr. Alex McFarland excited about that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.